0: Welcome to the Political, welcome Pharmacist, political podcast. Pharmacist Podcast, list. the first I'm your podcast host, Geier, to focus on and the with political me today Dr. Betty pharmacy. She is a Here's founder of host, BetterMyMeds.com Eric and from the University of Iowa, so go Hawkeyes. And welcome to the podcast, Betty. Well,
1: thanks, Eric. It's great to be with you. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Yeah, and I am too because you do something that's a little bit different than not I want to say every pharmacist, but a little bit different than what we currently see in most practice settings. You actually recently wrote an article about deprescribing and the role pharmacists play in helping optimize medications for patients, which is huge, but especially through programs like medication therapy management. Can you elaborate kind of on what sparked you to write an article on deprescribing since most pharmacists get paid to dispense medications? Yes,
1: I would love to. And let me start back a little bit by just explaining how I got to where I am right now. I find that many patients out there in the community are on a whole lot of medications that they don't understand. And they don't know where to turn to get answers. And some years ago, I got accredited by the APHA to provide medication management and started working on my own. And currently, I'm doing mostly private pay patients. So they come to me for advice about their medications and help with communicating with their doctors. In order to to get patients to know who I am and what I do, I give presentations in the community, senior centers, libraries, that sort of thing, churches, to explain what pharmacists can do for people. I get private patients who are intrigued by what I can offer them, and they come to me for services. One of the reasons that many patients come to me is because they look at their medication list and keep wondering do I really need to be on all these medications? And so I feel like it's really a large part of my duty when I sit down and talk with them to make sure that every single medication on their list has a role in improving their health. So deprescribing is one thing that doctors and pharmacists can do on a regular basis, look carefully at uh, medication lists and make sure each medication is still required. As part of what I do, I write articles to send out to people so that they can just get some more information about their own health and wanted to explain what deprescribing is and how patients can actually take part in that process and not necessarily count on their doctors. And so, yeah, I think that deprescribing is extremely important and patients don't always understand that that's even I think many people believe that once their doctor puts them on a medication, more often than not, it's going to be something that they take for the rest of their lives. And that doesn't have to be true.
0: So many times we hear this in pharmacy where people come in and, you know, it'll be something like a Torvastatin that we know they need, you know, for their cholesterol to prevent a heart attack. And they're like, do I really need to be on this? And so many times they probably get told, yes, you need to be on this. Yes, you need to be on this. That after a while, you kind of lose that. I don't want to say faith, but that like a, ability or thought to just start questioning people when you're getting put on medications. But to the other end, we also know that what is it like fifty or sixty percent of medications aren't taken correctly. So there's a huge chance there where they do get prescribed a torvastatin and it never makes it to the pharmacy or it never gets picked up and it gets put back in the uh, the will call bin, if you will. So there's a lot of times in there that yeah. People might deprescribe themselves, but they might not be appropriate, which is another way way that that happens. But I think you hit the nail on the head there with so many people, especially elderly people, are taking medications that it can really be burdensome and it can really mess with their adherence of it and not really be optimized to their care if there's an ER version or a combination pill and the pill burden is just so much for them. Have you run into that a lot as well?
1: Well, I mean, I, you, you bring up a really good point about medications that patients don't want to take, and I will agree with you that statins are one of the big ones that people talk about. But it is true that even as people get older, that needs to be reassessed periodically because once once you reach a certain age, there are many experts who would suggest that not everybody still needs to stay on statin medications. And so as pharmacists, when people ask that question... I think our our response needs to be, for right now, yes, it's doing you a lot of good and it's going to prevent problems in the future, but let's talk about it again in two years or five years. So we open up that door. And at the same time, we can say to the patient, are there other medicines on your list that you have questions about? But we don't say that. Why do we not say that? We don't have time. We don't have time to say that to them. And so we answer their one question with a quick answer, which is a truthful answer, But we don't open up the door for further conversation, and I think that's a problem that we, as a profession, need to figure out how to fix.
0: Yeah, and with the decreasing payments from PBMs and things like that, it makes it a little harder to truly have time to give that holistic approach, if you will, when we have the knowledge but we're getting so rushed and we've got five people at the counter. Many places have a drive through that's backing up. Now we have COVID shots and people calling left to right about every COVID question or conspiracy theory out there. And we talked a little off the air, kind of about the way MTMs are currently done in many settings. Isn't really ideal for several reasons. Obviously, with COVID virtual now or over the phone, there's probably going to be done a lot more. And that makes sense, at least temporarily, until we can get everyone vaccinated. One of the things that some places do with MTMs is they treat them like a number, like a billable claim, like something to do to check off the list so they can either get their reimbursed for the MTM or get reimbursed higher on their medications to reduce things like DIR fees or what have you by improving adherence. Can you share some of your experiences with MTMs that you've seen that you have sat down with patients and you're like, they didn't do an MTM with you or maybe like what they did wasn't wasn't really holistic to you and maybe you got treated like a metric a little bit?
1: Yeah, and of course, I would never say that to a patient, but that has happened on several occasions. And so let me back up just a little bit by saying that I agree with you that there is absolutely nothing wrong with telephonic medication reviews. And the key to me is whether you have a relationship with that patient to begin with at, before you start that process. The problem, I think, comes in telephonic services where that's all they do. And in the end, they seem to be faceless voices to patients on the phone. So I've had several patients that I have ended up providing services through Outcomes MTM. Most most people who are listening uh, will know that company, Outcomes MTM, because I, ha- I do have a relationship with a local pharmacy. And so I can bill through uh, the pharmacy... There. I have I have asked people if they would like me to see if I can bill through their insurance and they asked me to do that. So I sign them up through Outcomes MTM, add them as a patient and find out that indeed, they just a person just had a CMR six months ago. So I call the person back and I, I tell them they're eligible for MTM services, but not right now because, because they already had their med review this year and they go, I did not. <laughs> and so then I explore that in, in a way that that allows the pharmacist that provided that service to still have some credibility and try to find out why the patient doesn't even know they had it. And it seems to be that in the cases that uh, I've run across, somebody's calling them, asking them for a list of their medications, probably saying, I would guess that they're calling from the insurance company. The individual, uh, the patient provides that information, really nothing. Maybe the, pharmacist on the other end says do you have any questions about that and the patient says no and that's the end of it that's the only thing I can imagine and so the metric is is met the the patient has had their CMR the claim gets filled but the patient gets nothing out of it that seems to be what is happening in a lot of cases and that is as you said partly because the pharmacist isn't getting reimbursed for the kind of time it would take to get into all those things on the phone with the patient. And maybe they've been told that they need to do so many in an hour. And so you just don't have the time for that. And that's a shame. That's a real shame. I did have one patient who has had telephonic CMRs on a couple of occasions prior to becoming a patient of our independent pharmacy and liked them. She thought they were great. She thought they were a great benefit. She came to to me to provide that through the independent pharmacy because she preferred having somebody she could see and come in and, and get a refill for a medication and see the same faces over and over again. So she wanted to be somebody local, but she did have a good experience. So I think it can be done many different ways, and, and so we have to be careful about turning it into a metric and be willing to take that lower pay until patients start to uh, demand the service and realize how important it is.
0: Yeah, and I think sometimes it's hard for patients to demand it because the patients who need it don't truly know they need it. And that's where the insurance company flags them with some of these things. I had one the other day when I was working with a patient, uh, just kind of going off my own experience here, that had a CMR and they had nine tips that were on there. And I was like, oh, my God, like obviously that's a lot of billable services, but they're all pretty small. And the amount of time it takes to talk about some of them is just, you know, a kind of astronomical versus the rate. Uh, for example, if the person was a diabetic and was not on a statin medication. I think I got reimbursed, I don't know, five or $10 for it, but the amount of time it takes to call the office, discuss it with the patient, either send a fax, recommunicate, things like that. It's almost not worth your time for $10. You're just kind of hoping that it makes your stars rating better in the long end. And you can get a 1% higher reimbursement for your overall, um, Uh, your overall payment from that plan. And so I think that's kind of one of the things that pharmacists get a little turned off by is when they see it's $5 for this, I'm not wasting my time because it's gonna take me three hours of my time to try and get this basically. And I think that's one of the frustrations that obviously we've hit on here, why some of this does get turned into a metric. Some other stories I've heard here from people at different chains was that when they're put on to do MTMs, they're expected to do $1,000 in claims a day to kind of offset the cost of their labor and everything, which they're not getting paid nearly $1,000 a day, I can tell you that. So that's one thing I thought was pretty interesting and to a metric point, and what you said might have caused somebody to go kind of fast through that because they're trying to hit this number because they know if they don't, they're either gonna be reprimanded or they might not find any more hours for them, just conveniently how that works. And so many times when, you know, as pharmacists, we have MTM, there's so many other things that, depending on the claim, we can't even bill for. I've had numerous times where I've caught either somebody who was in a bad domestic situation and I kind of helped get them like social services, which I couldn't bill for it and for that plan. And then there was another one where I had a patient who was self-medicating with opioids off the street because he had an addiction problem, but he couldn't get in to get seen. I, I knew this guy for a while, to your point, he came into our pharmacy all the time. He had a little bit of a hearing issue. So I sympathized with him having hearing issues growing up. So I kind of made sure like, look, I'm going to get this guy into a place where he can be treated for his addiction because he wants to be treated. And that's the first step. And it took way too much time. I think it took me over the course of three or four days, three or four hours total to finally find a place that would take him. And then I actually reached out to the county program to get him transportation there because since he didn't have a car and he was super grateful for it. And I think I got paid like, I don't know, $10 for something like that. It wasn't, it wasn't nowhere near what it was. I was just basically volunteering my time to try and take care of somebody have, have you seen issues like that with some of the reimbursements and some of the other, uh, MTM claims where you're like, look, I'm going to spend so much time on this. I'm just volunteering my time to try and take care of somebody
1: every single time. Yes. Every single time. Because, because I don't think I'm in a position where I don't have to worry about how much I get reimbursed from outcomes or anybody else, because I'm making my own decisions about what time I'm willing to spend. And just like you with your podcast, Sometimes we do things out of passion that we're not getting paid for, and sometimes we do things that we're not getting paid for because we know if we work hard enough, we will, we will create demand, we will make people understand how important what we're doing is, and it will come. So imagine if instead of CMRs being looked at as a metric, if we had management within pharmacies who believed in what? medication management could do for their patients and who believed in the fact that if we provide that service, people will come and people will pay because they will and was willing to put their self out there and say, let's hire a full-time pharmacist or a part-time pharmacist or whatever it might be. We'll advertise, we'll provide this service, we will make sure everybody knows we're doing it and how much it will help them and we're gonna get this thing going. Pharmacies have done that. There are pharmacies out there that have done that, and they've done it successfully. Takes time, and it takes money, and it takes commitment, and it takes passion. But what it doesn't take is somebody at the top of the corporate structure saying, okay, if we're only gonna get paid $50 for this, then you have to do this many of them. I don't care what outcome you get, just do them, get them done, and mark it down. We need a change in the way we manage pharmacies Uh, I believe in order to make this happen. But on the other hand, what we're getting right now is better than what we were getting a decade ago. Yeah. You can also look at it as baby steps. But the the problem is that we have to have somebody that's willing to take that baby step and turn it into something bigger. And that's where we get into a change in the structure of pharmacy management.
0: Yeah. And I do want to point out you are certified with for MTM. I actually am too. I went and recently did that myself because it's something I'm pretty passionate about like you are. And what this screams to me is that every person really needs to be granted better access to our knowledge and expertise. Now, I'm not saying that everyone's going to utilize it, but we need to be there and have the time in place so we can look at people holistically. And, you know, I'm not going to knock any physician, but they have their own practice and scope. So do we. And we might be seeing something that they're seeing, you know, two specialists and a primary care that just got overlooked that we can help fix that could make a big change in their overall health and well-being. It could just be something stupid and little. It could be a knowledge that we have that none of them had for whatever reason. And that is just one of the reasons that I think we need better access to this. What do you think is an ideal way to make sure that people have better access to our knowledge and expertise when it comes to what we know about medications and costs and compliance and all that stuff?
1: Well, I that's a really good question, Eric, and it's it's a very large answer. But I think that it's kind of up to our profession and each one of us within our profession to make sure that the people that we interact with know what we're capable of of giving them what the information the knowledge and the improved health outcomes that we're capable of giving them that means tooting our own our own horn that means saying very frankly we have an area of expertise your doctor definitely has an area of expertise if we work together you're going to get healthier than you would otherwise be so so um i like to tell people that pharmacists look at at the patient's health from through a whole different lens. It's not that we're smarter or that the doctor's smarter. We're looking at things through a different lens and so we can add uh, information and when we work together, things get better. And so I do believe that it starts with us and we not only have to convince the patients, but we have to convince the prescribers as well that we have something to offer. And, And that means taking the time and potentially spending the money to take the time to be able to do that. And again, we get we get back to the whole corporate structure
0: thing. Yeah, and you know, I really think you hit a key point there. Pharmacists suck at tooting our own horn. Like just point blank we suck at doing that. Like we I don't know why, but whenever people come to us, we always tend to be overly humble and we're not bragging on anything and I don't want to say we don't have confidence, but we don't have like The same level of self-promotion that you hear from like physicians, whether it be, you know, bad example, but like your Dr. Oz's of the world who have no problem going on TV and just claiming to know everything. Not that we do or that they do, but we just don't go out there and really toot our own horn the same way. Even though we have a similar level of education and knowledge and skill set when it comes to especially handling medications, like we're the expert in it, right? So why don't we promote that more and people don't rely on us the same way they rely on some of their physicians, although some do, not the vast majority. And I think that that's a, a huge issue that we we have is we're just not as numerous and we haven't taken that that vocal stance, if you will, to really kind of show what we can do. And it can be really simple things like converting people who are taking multiple tablets a day from, like, we'll say, like, Rapinarol to, like, an ER version or something like that. Or it can even be something that's, hey, if we switch from this crazy combination you're on of ibuprofen and it's called duexis To simple over-the-counter ones, you might take more pills today, but hey, look, it's going to cost you pennies as compared to hundreds of dollars. And that's one thing that there's no one better suited for pharmacists to start making those little changes. Even the insurance companies sometimes with their kickbacks, we can still find ways to save people money overall in healthcare when it comes to just simple changes. And most people are usually on board with that if we tell them how much money it's saving. And we can still keep compliance up as long as we discuss it, but obviously it has to be discussed. So I think that's a great call up by you right there.
1: Even those little things take time to discuss, And, but I also want to point out that in my own experience, I do believe that sometimes pharmacists don't exude confidence because they simply don't have confidence. A lot of pharmacists don't really think that they can make that much of a difference. And what's the point in doing a CMR? I'm not going to be able to change this patient's health outcomes anyway. I do believe there's a large number of people in our profession that still don't really believe in their hearts that we can have those frank conversations with patients and those frank conversations with doctors and be able to educate both of those groups of people. Sometimes we're going to be wrong when we do that, and that's got to be okay with us. We might bring up a question that has already been asked and answered and we just didn't know it, but that's got to be okay with us. We still have to be willing to to go out there, ask those questions, educate doctors, educate patients and believe that we can make a difference. And I, and so we have to hold each other up, support each, other, encourage each other um, like you're doing on this podcast and somehow just push, push, push our profession to realize the great changes that we could make in people's health outcomes if we took a stand, if we had confidence, and if we um, were willing to take the time to do it.
0: Yeah, and to your point, you know, I always think back to like your school days, right? Like you sit there in the lecture hall and they throw all this information at you, right? It's like everything, it's like the Bible of pharmacology that they're preaching. And you definitely don't retain every bit of it going to class. Maybe one or two people do, but I, I know I didn't. And so you you get told all these things and you're like, okay, this is great, but you still have to go back to your notes and study it. And you still have to go back to your notes and study it again. And you still probably won't get 100% of the test, but you'll obviously get hopefully an A or a B or a good grade. And those are well-educated, well-motivated people who obviously have hopefully a financial uh, interest in it at the end of it all. Patients might not always have the same interest in, and so you might have to say something numerous times to numerous people to make a big enough of an impact, but they still listen. And so, you know, if you think that they only retain, I don't know, I'm just going to throw out there 30 to 40% of the information that you tell them. But next time they come in, they retain 30, 40% more and then so on and so on. That's how you ha- kind of make the effect. And I, I refer to a lot of it almost like vaccine hesitancy. When you have those people around the fence, you just kind of, kind of keep pushing them, and then each time, kind of take a little bit different approach or have that discussion. Eventually, you get them to getting something like a COVID vaccine. This is different with medicine, obviously, and the medications we're talking about. But they maybe they didn't remember that I have to take my metformin with meals, and that's why it's causing upset stomach. Because they were busy, focused on something else, or they had something else that day that was just consuming them because they were so stressed out by just life or whatever it is. So I think that's a good point is that we are educators and we might have to repeat ourselves numerous times. But as long as we're doing that, you're putting in the good work. Over time, it will make an impact. So that, I think that's the thing that people really need to remember that can be frustrating when they come back in three months later and they're still taking it wrong. And you're like, hey, like we talked about this, you know, like, taking that minute, realizing they also are people and humans and have a life too. They might not remember everything like we do. So that's, I think, a good take home point for people from that.
1: Yes. I I love what you said there and and that gets me back to one of the silliest things that I thought when I started this business which was that I could structure it the way outcomes mtm structures theirs which is a CMR is often a once and done thing. Yeah. A person is eligible for it this year. You do a CMR, you get uh you build a claim, you get paid for it. And then you never sit down with that patient again because they never become eligible again. Yeah. Once and done, it doesn't work. What you're saying is absolutely true. It takes, it takes a relationship. It takes sitting down over and over and over again, just like people do with their physicians and their prescribers. We, we can't, as pharmacists, expect to make a huge difference if we only sit down for an hour and a half with somebody and maybe call them on follow-up one time it has to be an ongoing thing because they will forget that about metformin. They will forget why they're taking it with breakfast and dinner. And they'll start taking it when they get up in the morning and at night because it fits better into their schedule and then their stomach starts to hurt and they don't remember why. That's okay. I mean, that's understandable. That's like why do we have uh, a person in our gym class in our in our fitness class in front of us reminding us to breathe? Yeah. Well, because we it, right? We forget to breathe the way we're supposed to breathe when we're doing yoga or whatever it happens to be. We need somebody there to remind us. And the same thing is true for healthcare. care. Um, and the sooner we recognize that and start to work with that, the better. And I think that some of it takes us being willing to mentor other pharmacists who, who maybe don't have that understanding and encourage each other as we go forward in our profession.
0: Yeah, it, it's so funny you mentioned breathing because I'm a runner and breathing is a big part of what you do. Obviously, when you're running, and I actually had totally bombed a race. Long story, I'll make it short. And then had to go read a book on how to breathe when you're running for, uh, long, ultra long distances or high altitude races. And I'm like, this is breathing. Like, there, there's a whole book on breathing, and yet it's instinctive to us. Like, it just makes you wonder, like, what else could you write a whole book on when it comes to something like pharmacy to help educate patients that might just seem so basic and intuitive, but you just have to put it in words they can understand and make it in a fashion that they can kind of digest it. So, okay.
1: Right. So we, we give people a monograph about their medication when they first get it, and maybe their doctor says something to them about how it works and how to take it, and maybe the pharmacist does too, but the patient may or may not read that, and nobody, and so they might be on that medication for 20 or 30 or 40 years or longer, and nobody ever revisits that with them the way things are now typically and and i believe that what you said is important it it takes revisiting reminding bringing things up over and over again in order to get things to work correctly
0: yeah and i kind of look at an ounce of prevention pound of cure right so if you're going to pay someone to have that conversation if you're going to pay them for a you know 10 minute conversation five minute conversation whatever is i guess deemed appropriate it's way cheaper than someone having a heart attack or someone going to DKA or all these other things that can go wrong with healthcare that would result in just hundreds of thousands of dollars of bills and then poor life expectancy and every other trickle down effect you have down there. It's again, I say this so many times. It's like the butterfly effect. You know, butterfly flaps its wings and eventually, if enough of them do it, a hurricane comes off the coast of Africa and hits Florida. It's not exactly the same, but it's the same idea of making a change is everyone's kind of got to be doing those little things to make a big change with digressing for a minute here because I think this is important when we talk about the personal part of pharmacy and the impact we can have. Kind of some quick hitters. What is the silliest and most heartfelt MTM story you have?
1: Well, I think the silliest one was the one that I already mentioned, which was me thinking that I could structure a business <laughs> where I only met with patients once and gave them all the information that they need. That that just is not working um, because people need more information than that and they, they can't digest every. People, so people that come to me, for example, have waited for years and they finally find out that there's somebody that can help them with their medication questions and they come with a bazillion medication questions. And so, you know, the write-up that they get from me is long because, you know, well, it is. I want to make sure that I explain everything that we talked about and so they get, you know, a two-page thing. They can't digest all that and so they'll maybe read through it once and then set it aside like anybody would. It takes reminding and and revisiting as we've already talked about. And so uh, it took me a few years, but I finally developed a subscription uh, program where people can just pay me a monthly fee and they can talk to me anytime they want. And we can have that ongoing relationship. So I think it was silly of me to think once and done would ever work. And it's not going to be that easy to convince people that it's worth a small monthly fee to get all the information they want. And I think pharmacies could actually do that too, advertise that, that you know they would provide all kinds of pharmacists counseling for a low monthly fee and see what kind of takers they got. But you have to have that reputation first before you can actually do that. I think the best heartfelt one that I have is a patient that uh, I met with several times in the past And she called me out of the blue one day, and she was having some problems with pain. But she was frightened to take the medication that her doctor had prescribed for her. And we had a very long conversation. Actually, her doctor had given her a couple of different options of things that she could take. And so we talked for a long time about the pros and cons of the medications, what questions she could ask her doctor, how she might initiate trying one, what she could watch for, in terms of side effects and that sort of thing. And she digested that and made a decision on what she was gonna talk to her doctor about. Talked to her doctor, got a prescription that the doctor had already considered, so it wasn't really my thought. Um, Patient tried it, had great success, all because of the way she communicated with her doctor and wrote this wonderful review on my Google page. How wonderful I was and how I, uh, I suggested this great medication for her really all I did was talk to her about the pros and cons, explain to her what kinds of questions she could ask her doctor, and tell her what she could watch for if she was going to have side effects. But those reassuring things and those different ways of looking at it made a huge difference in her willingness to try the medication and in her comfort level in trying that medication, so much so that she was more grateful to me than maybe she needed to be. But that's what that's what people want. They want um, they want a pharmacist who can provide them some expert advice, be there for them when they have those questions, help them understand how to follow their own health along, and it makes a huge difference in, in the whole way they live sometimes.
0: Yeah, th- that's awesome. Those are the, the moments that stick with you forever and make it worth every second you do it. So I'm glad you were able to help them like that. And that's a good take-home message for anybody who's doing MTM for people is just taking an extra step, not even an extra mile. That extra step can really just, you know, make the life difference for people who are who are involved by the discussions we have with them. All right, so I can't let you go without the questions I ask everybody who comes on the podcast. If you could change one thing in pharmacy that isn't a law, what would it be?
1: Um, the fact that our profession over the years uh, moved from having pharmacists as owners of pharmacies to big corporations as owners of pharmacies. And I think that was probably, in retrospect, a bad move for many reasons. But the biggest one is that it took the healthcare part of pharmacy out of pharmacy uh, for many chains. Not all, in, in different ways in some but it's become certainly a lower priority for most of the chain pharmacies. And that also makes it difficult for independent pharmacies to make it a priority because they're competing with those. I think if I could change one thing, I would put pharmacists back in charge of pharmacies uh, and pharmacy corporations so that we could change that back to where a focus is patient health outcomes and not just bottom lines financially.
0: Yeah, I think that's huge. I think Putting the, the care back in healthcare is one of the biggest things that we need to do, not just with pharmacy, but with healthcare in general in this country, and have less uh, MBAs running healthcare and more of the actual MDs, PharmDs, RNs running it the way that they see as fit. Because you know we're the experts; we should be trusted to doing what's best for people. And yep. most most of us, even though we do have a a financial incentive that we want to get things right and we want to get paid we're not greedy people who are we're going to make sure we do what's right if that means moving funds or moving time and occasionally working a little extra which we all do already but it's you know taking care of somebody then i think that that's what we are just trained to do and we're going to set the system up to do and take care of everyone and we might have a little less burnout and stress in the but all these professions as well even in the middle of covid so thanks for sharing that one sure if there was one law in pharmacy you could change federal state whatever level you want what would it be and why
1: I am right now all about provider status for pharmacists. That is something that our profession let go a long time ago, and once it's let go, it's not that, that easy to get back. We are trying so hard right now. Provider status would make a huge difference in pretty much everything that we do. So, for example, you, here in Michigan, which is where I live, We have provider status in terms of billing Medicaid, Michigan Medicaid, for cognitive services. That's a huge step forward because now I can look at all the patients that I have access to that have Medicaid insurance, and I can ask them if they would like to sit down and talk and not have to worry about them paying out of pocket for it. And I can provide them the help that they need and may not even know that they need because of that. With provider status through Medicare uh, and in every state through Medicaid and with other insurances like like we have in certain states, we would be able to provide the expertise that we have, the kind of thing that I just talked about, with every patient who was covered by those insurances that needed help. And and so that would be a huge step forward. And uh, And so we all as pharmacists need to be pushing really, really hard for that right now, especially Um, when we
0: have the opportunity okay yeah and that's that is currently out there ladies and gentlemen so make sure you contact your state reps your state legislators it's currently in the u.s house and in the senate so make sure you're reaching out to them all right listeners so if you can go to bettermymeds.com and you know, follow, uh, Dr. Betty here. She's got a website. She's on Facebook. She's, she does awesome work up there in Michigan. Uh, I don't usually say that about Michigan being from Ohio, but you know that I will give, say that what she does is pretty good and give her lots of credit. So thanks again for joining the podcast.
1: You are welcome. It's been a pleasure to be with you, Eric, and good luck with your podcast and with all the great things you're doing too. Hey,
0: thanks. And listeners, as always, thanks for listening to the political pharmacist podcast, your prescription for pharmacy and politics.